Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good evening. You'll want to open your Bibles to Matthew 19. And Father, we ask that you would help us to behold wondrous things out of your law. Father, not for information, not for just one more Bible study, but Lord, we pray that you would use this to transform us, to heal the hurting, to bind the brokenhearted, and to restore that which is broken. In Jesus' name, amen. There was an elderly man in Phoenix, Arizona, who called his son, now living in New York, and said, Son, I hate to ruin your day, but... I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing. Forty-five years of marriage to that woman is enough. Pop, what are you talking about? The son screams. We can't stand the sight of each other any longer, the father said. We are sick of each other, and I'm sick of talking about this. So you call your sister in Chicago, you tell her, and he hangs up. Frantic, the son calls his sister who explodes. They can't get a divorce. If I have anything to do about this, I'll take care of it. She calls her dad in Phoenix immediately and says, You will not get a divorce. Don't do anything. I'm calling my brother. We will be there tomorrow. Don't do anything. And she hangs up. The old man hangs up the phone and turns to his wife and said, Well, they're coming for Thanksgiving and paying their own fare. What are we going to tell him for Christmas? <laughs> Unfortunately, they weren't shocked about divorce because divorce is so common today. Last year, in this country, there were over one million divorces. This year, there will be a million more. Two million people's lives and dreams ripped apart. Two to three million children are victims of this. They had no choice in the matter. Five to six million individuals every year watch their worlds get turned upside down by divorce. And it's become easy in our country as 45, I'm sorry, 48 of the 50 states now have no-fault divorce. One state is even experimenting with drive through Divorces. Divorce is common. The immediate effects of divorce. Women lose 30% of what they call disposable income right away. Disposable income is after the essentials, anything else, 30% minimum drop. Divorced men have greater sickness, and a higher mortality rate than men who remain married. But the children, they take it the worst. Most of the time in our country, the women get the children. And so we now have children in fatherless homes. Some statistics. Children in fatherless homes are five times more likely to commit suicide. Seven times more likely for the young girls to become mothers in their teens. 
25 times more likely to run away, 15 times more likely to have behavioral disorders, academic problems, problems with authority, six times more likely to find themselves locked up in a state-operated institution, 11 times more likely to commit rape, seven times more likely to drop out of school, and 15 times more likely to end up in adult prison while they are still teenagers. And these are numbers on a page. We read them and say, okay, numbers. See, I grew up in that world. My parents divorced when I was in early grade school. My father was a violent alcoholic. He did not believe in his wedding vows, and he was abusive. And I don't use that word lightly. I picture young children with blood pouring out. I picture a mother with traction on her bed for years trying to recover from the damage that was done. I grew up in that world. These aren't numbers on a page. These are people. And they're hurting. As an adult, I worked in a psych hospital with people who were shut shut down, shut into these with the kids, the little kids who were victims. And they were so bad they couldn't function anymore and they had to lock them in this place. And we'd pray, God, let us reach some. But, you know, even if we reach them, they go home. And, and, and I say that because I know there are some of you out here who have been thrown into that fast-moving stream and smashed against the rocks of these statistics. And you have felt the anger. You felt the rage. You have wanted to fight back. But who do you fight? You have done poorly in school. And you just don't fit. And you know it. Some of you might be from divorced homes. Some of you might even be grown, but you came from that home and it's still there. And you know what I'm talking about. Because you have to fight it. In my own life and in my years working in the psych hospital, I found that there was one thing, one thing only, that made the difference between someone who was a victim and overcome and someone who was an overcomer who was victorious. And there was one thing. So... Before I continue with the other stuff, listen to me, especially you young people who are fighting this. You have a choice. That's the difference. Choice. God is the God of all comfort. And He will comfort us in our afflictions that we might then have strength to comfort others. And that's what it's all about. I'm either a victim who will hurt others the way I've been hurt, or I will fight against this, and I defy the statistics to beat me down. I will comfort others, because God is my Father. And you must make that choice. Unfortunately, that choice isn't a one-time thing. Sometimes it's moment by moment. But you must make a choice. And that's the difference between being influenced by your past or being determined by your past. Your own free will. Make the choice. The church in our country is very confused. We have different extremes. One group over here says, no way, no how, no divorce, no remarriage, nada. Another group is over here and says, as long as you're happy, it doesn't matter. But God's Word doesn't take either of those extremes. God's Word is very clear It walks right down the middle. And Jesus presented that. 
In a historical view of divorce, Jesus came on the scene in history. God became man, walked this earth in three predominant cultures, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews. That's the world he lived in. The Greeks, the Romans, and the Jews were what we call patriarchal society. What that meant is the man's the boss, he has the right, women, children, you have no rights. That's the world they lived in. They had no rights. They couldn't decide things for themselves. If a woman wanted out, tough. If a guy wanted out, no problem. Women were second class in that society. That's the world Jesus walked in. And the Greeks thought divorce was just fine. Whatever makes you happy. Historical view, whatever makes you happy. Demosthenes writes, Every man should have a mistress for companionship, a concubine for sexual pleasure, and a wife to bear legitimate children and to keep the home. The rules in the Greek culture, a man could dismiss his wife in the presence of two witnesses. So I'm going home that day and I say, hey, I need a couple of you guys to go with me. <laughs> Got something to take care of. The marriage is over. The Romans were worse. Divorce had become so common in the Roman Empire that in keeping their diaries... Rather than saying in June or July, they'd say, oh, in the month of Michelle. And then in the month of Diocenes or the month of Diana. They started keeping diaries by the amount of women that they married and got rid of. And then there were the Jews. God's chosen people. The kingdom of priests that God had put on this world and said, you will be my witnesses. They had God's word. Someone to look to. Someone to be different. Someone to show the truth. Unfortunately, they were not doing so. There was a passage in Deuteronomy 24 that became the center of this whole divorce controversy among the Jews. I'll read part of the verse. We'll get back to it later. When a man takes a wife and marries her, this is Deuteronomy 24, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce. That's where they stopped and said, she has no favor in his eyes because of some uncleanness in her. Well, what does that mean? Two schools of thought. These were the Yale and Harvard of that era. They had Shammai and Hillel, two prominent rabbis. Shammai was not real popular because he said, well... That's for marital infidelity. Divorce, uh, divorce is only okay if there's been sexual infidelity, adultery. That's it. No other reason. And then you had Hillel. Everybody loved Hillel. Because he said, you could divorce your wife for burning your bagels, burning your dinner, putting too much salt on the food. If she spun around in the street and somebody saw her knees, taking her hair down, speaking to men, saying something bad against her mother-in-law, if you saw someone prettier, she's now unclean in your eyes. For anything. If she were infertile. If she gave you a girl child instead of a male. You could divorce your wife. Basically, anything a husband that did not like about his wife, throw her out. It was okay. And the Talmud, which is the commentary that the Jews were using at the time, said, A bad wife is like leprosy to her husband. What is the remedy? Let him divorce her and be cured of his leprosy. In another spot, if a man has a bad wife, it is his religious duty to divorce her. These are the people who had God's law and they had succumbed to the base nature of sin and they were divorcing. 
and causing destruction. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus says, you have to remember the master's plan. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to a region of Judea beyond Jordan called Perea. And a great multitude followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to receive, uh, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. This passage begins when Jesus has finished these sayings. Jesus was up around Galilee at the time. This was about two and a half years or more into his ministry. Jesus had left Galilee two months before his crucifixion. This is the time frame. He is under the shadow of the cross. He has just revealed himself to his disciples saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm going to Jerusalem. They will crucify me on the third day. I will rise again. And he makes this trip. He finishes these sayings and he comes through Perea. Perea it just is a word that means beyond. And when, when you look at a map, you've got the area of Galilee up around the Lake of Galilee. Jordan River comes down, flows south, and then the Dead Sea and Jerusalem's down here. On the west side was Samaria. So when the Jews were coming down for the Passover, and remember Jesus was crucified on Passover, they would come in mass along this area through Perea. Perea meant beyond, beyond Jordan. So Jesus has finished his Galilean ministry. He had started his ministry around Jerusalem about six months. He had moved up to Galilee about two years, though he made trips to Jerusalem. And now he's making his last trip. The final presentation before his crucifixion. And the Pharisees came to him. The Pharisees have shown up six times now in this book. The first time they showed up, it wasn't pretty. They showed up, John the Baptist was baptizing. John said, don't think that you have Abraham as your father and that will get you into heaven. You need to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. So the first time we see them, they're called hypocrites who believed falsely that just belonging to Abraham got them into heaven. The second time we see them is in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus starts using them as an example. He said, you have heard that it's been said, but I say to you, and just took apart all of their teachings. And then use them as examples. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand in the middle of the street while they're praying. Or when you fast, don't paint your face to look sad like the hypocritical Pharisees do. Because if your righteousness isn't greater than theirs, you don't go to heaven. So they're not real pleased with Jesus at this point. So they began the next time we saw them in chapter 9 saying, well, Jesus just hangs out with tax, tax collectors and sinners. He's just a bad man. 
In chapter 12, they said he was possessed by Beelzebub, Satan himself. In chapter 15, they tried to trap him in some legal stuff. And Jesus took a whole lot of time to say, you have nullified the commands of God by your traditions. Slammed him down publicly. They weren't happy with Jesus. In chapter 16, he said that they are like leaven. They are like sin. So the Pharisees, they're upset with Jesus. The people are following Jesus. Jesus is popular. The people are not listening to the Pharisees as much because the Pharisees are being shown to be hypocrites. So they came testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? This was not a question that they were asking to get an answer. They knew what Jesus was going to say. He had already taught it. He taught it in Matthew chapter 5. It has been said by the Pharisees that whoever divorces his wife, let them give a writing of divorcement. But I say to you that whoever would divorce his wife, save for the cause of immorality, sexual immorality, adultery, causes her to commit adultery. They know Jesus' answer. This is a test to destroy him. Remember, he's in Perea. If you think back, Perea is under a guy by the name of Herod Antipas. John the Baptist in Perea had said, it is not lawful for John the Baptist to have his brother's wife, Herodias. Herod Antipas had his castle there, his summer home, and it had a little prison. John the Baptist, having rebuked Herod for stealing his brother Philip's wife and marrying her and said he is committing adultery, it's not lawful, Herod arrested him and had him beheaded. The Pharisees know that Jesus is going to rebuke adultery. They're hoping that they can just be rid of him. This is a setup question. The other is they know that all the people kind of like Hillel. They loved Hillel's teaching. I can divorce my wife if I find someone prettier. It's no big deal. And if Jesus starts taking this really tough stance and says, no, you can't, well, the people will quit following him. He'll lose his popularity. So they want to destroy him. If they can't do that, at least discredit him. Because the light came into the world. And men love darkness more than light. The sad thing is, these guys knew the scriptures. Didn't they? They were the teachers. They knew the law. And yet they were willing to bend it so that they could live their lives the way they wanted. And they were the religious leaders. There's a big difference between head faith and heart faith. Jesus said, Well did Isaiah prophesy against this generation. With their lips they profess to know me, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus rebuked people and said, How can you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? That's not about just saying you believe. James tells us, you say you believe in God. Great. The devils believe. At least they tremble. They make a change. They tremble in fear. Does it change our life to have this belief? Jesus said, I'm sorry. Paul said, don't be deceived. Those who commit adultery and fornication will not go to heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. Neither adulterers, nor fornicators, nor effeminate, nor those who are abusers of themselves, of mankind, will go to heaven. 
Jesus said, you know, there are going to be a lot of people in that day who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we in your name do many mighty works? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we raise the dead? Didn't we cast out demons? And I will say, depart from me, you who are cursed and work iniquity. I never knew you. Now, this is, these are hard sayings, but these verses scare me. These verses scare me because they say, you can go to church, know the scriptures, teach, be a leader, and yet there's no transformation of your heart. And on that day, on judgment day, when we stand before the Lord, He will say, you don't come in, depart. Scary verses. Scary verses. Paul said, there are some who slanderously report that I, Paul, teach. Let us do evil that good may come. The idea being, I can continue with it. Oh, up to adultery, you know. I mean, I'll just divorce my wife. I'll divorce my husband. There's no grounds. I just want out. I'm just going to divorce. It's no big deal because God's grace. Let us do evil that grace may come. And I presume upon the grace of God. And Paul finishes that verse with this. Their damnation will be justified. Scary verses. I can do whatever I want and presume that God's going to forgive me? He says, no. They wanted to destroy Jesus and Jesus pointed to their hearts. And he appealed to God's original plan. He said, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and join to his wife. They shall cleave together and become one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more two but one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Jesus took them out of their argument in Deuteronomy and went all the way back to the beginning in Genesis and said, haven't you read? This was a slap in the face. These guys prided themselves in knowing the Scriptures. These guys loved to quote the Scriptures. Haven't you read? These were the masters, the doctors, the PhDs. Haven't you read? You know, knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Jesus had said, you search the scriptures because you think you have life in them, but they point to me. You need to come to me for life. Haven't you read? And he appeals to the beginning. God created one man and one woman. He didn't make spares. (laughs) Okay, don't like this Eve gal, but you know, I got somebody else over. No spares. One man, one woman. He said... They are to leave, of course, as they have children, and they are to cleave. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have used permabond? I want to see hands. How many of you have got permabond on your fingers? How many of you put your fingers together with the permabond on them? How many of you had to rip the skin from your fingers to get them apart? Yeah. Cleave is permabond, God's super glue. It is body, soul, spirit, mind, emotions. You do not tear this apart without ripping a part of that person apart. When God says cleave, they're glued on every level of their being. A man shall leave and cleave. Marriage is God's super glue. 
They're no longer one. Uh, they're no longer two. They're one flesh. You know, you can't divide one with the whole number. You can only divide it if you make it a fraction. You tear up one, you're no longer whole. And what God has joined together, because marriage is God's plan, don't let man tear apart because divorce is God's plan. Well, they argued with them. Why then did Moses command us to give a writing of divorce? And they're quoting this Deuteronomy 24. Jesus took them to Genesis. They're trying to go back to Deuteronomy 24. So let me read this passage. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the later husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the later husband dies who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been remarried to another. This would be an abomination before the Lord. This is not a command. Moses did not give a command for divorcement. This was a command about remarriage. But you see, the heart is deceitfully wicked. We can make the scriptures say whatever we want. But there's no command here about don't remarry somebody. If you divorce them and they married somebody else and then they come back to you, you don't remarry them. That's, that's what that verse says. So first of all, there was no command. And Jesus calls them on it. Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted, permitted, there is no command, you to divorce your wives. But, let's leave Deuteronomy 24. From the beginning, back to Genesis, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, he's repeating what he taught in Matthew 5, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who was divorced commits adultery. It's ongoing. Divorce, for the wrong reasons, remarry, you have four people living in adultery. That's what Jesus said. And adultery is an abomination before the Lord. That's what Jesus said. But the permission for divorce was to protect the innocent. See, adultery in the Old Testament was supposed to be a capital offense. People were supposed to be killed by stoning. And yet God, because of his mercy, sometimes allowed people not to be killed. David and Bathsheba, for example... They should have been executed, but God was merciful. God will give concessions in mercy when he gives commands in truth. But we cannot presume that that would be so, because on other times, people were put to death. I cannot presume upon the grace of God. These people who file for divorce for any reason they want are serving themselves and not serving God. That's the nature of sin. That's what Jesus said. It's the hardness of your hearts. Hardness of the hearts, the nature of sin is serving self. The very first sin in the Bible is not found in Genesis chapter 3. The very first sin is the fall of Lucifer in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Lucifer was all that when God made him. He was a cherub, the anointed cherub that covered. He was beautiful. But then Lucifer one day kind of looked in the mirror and said, I am all that. And as a matter of fact, I want to be my own God. 
And he's got these five I wills. I will ascend into heaven. I will take my throne above the throne of God. I will sit on the mountain in front of the congregation. I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. And the moment he sought to serve himself rather than God, that was sinful. Then when he went to Adam and Eve, remember? You'll be like God. Eat this. Don't you want to be like God? And so I start to serve myself. It's about my needs. It's about my happiness. It's about me fulfilling myself. When it should be about me serving my God. And in serving Him, I serve one another. Once it's about me, my life will be a wreck. Once it's about Him, my life will be blessed. The sin of selfishness. So Jesus did say there is a reason for divorce. That's adultery. Physically having sex with somebody else outside of marriage. Now, Jesus didn't address this part. It was addressed by Paul. There's another reason for divorce given in the New Testament. After Jesus died and rose again, the church is born. And now you have couples that are married and one of them became a Christian. And the other one didn't. And Paul is dealing with this mess in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says, if the unbelieving spouse departs, let them go. You are free and not in bondage to that marriage. And you are free to remarry. And you are free to remarry only another believer. So two grounds for divorce are given. Sexual unfaithfulness and abandonment by an unbeliever. Adultery and abandonment. However, there's something else that's going on out there today that's not directly addressed in scriptures, but the principles are there. Abuse. One in three marriages are suffering physical, spousal abuse, according to the latest statistics. Of those, 60% there is child abuse going on at the same time. And the average woman who is in an abusive relationship, sometimes it's the husband's, but more often than not, it's the female being abused. The female in an abusive relationship is afraid to deal with it, to report it, to call the police, because it'll only get worse. Where can I go? Women who come out of that and are separated start to deal with the issues. Rarely do they deal with it when they're still in the relationship. Is this grounds for divorce? The Bible doesn't say it is. But the Bible says something else, and I think we can take this principle. The Scripture told the disciples, if you're preaching the gospel and they're persecuting you, they're beating you up, he said, run! Flee! Go somewhere safe! I know I'm talking to some of you out there. You know, there are homes out there that take women in who are abused and their children. And they help you get their Christian homes. And they help you get back on your feet. And you don't go hungry and your children don't starve. You're afraid to call the authorities because of how bad it will get? Contact the homes. Talk to someone quietly. They'll tell you your options. I'm telling you to flee. I'm not telling you to divorce. I'm telling you to make your kids safe. 
if you have any idea how much we suffer. I've been there. I've had fists smashed in my face and watched blood come down and I'd stand there and I'd say, I'm not going to cry. I'm just going to sit here and bleed all over the place and watch him. What are you going to do now? Hurt me more? I've been there. Don't put your kids through it. Don't let them do that to them. What destroys marriages? You know, some researchers said, all these people divorce for so many reasons. Is there one common thread that if it's over here, the marriage is successful, and if it's over here, the marriage fails? No matter what the different reason they say, is there one thing? If we research and check all these marriages, can we find one thing that if it's okay, the marriage lasts. If it's not okay, the marriage falls apart. And you know they found it. Chip will tell you next week. No, I'll tell you today. So. <laughs> in order to uncover, this was uh, published in the U.S. News and World Report. There are all kinds of books on it. Um, in order to uncover the process that destroys unions, marriages, marital researchers study couples over the course of years and even decades, and retrace the star-crossed depths of those who have split up back to their wedding day when everything was great. What they are discovering is unsettling. None of the factors one would guess might predict a couple's durability actually does predict it. Not how in love the newlywed couple say they are, not how much affection they exchange, or how much they fight, or what they even fight about. In fact, couples who will endure and those who won't look remarkably similar in the early days. It goes on, name some people, universities, studied. They found a very subtle but telling difference at the beginning of relationships. Among couples who would ultimately stay together, Five out of every 100 comments made about each other were put-downs. Among couples who would later split, 10 or more of every 100 comments were put-downs or insults. That gap magnified over the following decade until the couples heading downhill were flinging five times as many cruel and invalidating comments at each other as the happy couples. They are cancerous cells left unchecked will destroy the relationship. It all started. I, when I first got married to my wife, see, I, have, I had brothers. And, and we'd like play backgammon or something, and, and I'd win, or, or they'd win, but whoever won, we'd say something like, well, you know, just because I won that game doesn't mean that you know, I'm superior to you and you're inferior and stupid and stuff, but... Um, you know, so, so, yeah, we would just really rip each other. We're brothers. We're allowed to. And then I got married. We played some game. I won. <laughs> I didn't get very far into this comment when I saw her eyes. And she said, I am not your brother. Don't do that to me. That was 26 years ago. And I have told my wife that because of me, she has learned to be forgiving and compassionate. More so than most women. There was a woman who wanted to divorce her husband. Oh, and she was so angry. She went to the divorce lawyer and she says, I want to divorce him, but I don't want to just divorce him. I want to hurt him. 
I want the day he gets these papers for him to crumble mentally, emotionally, so badly that it affects him and his business crumbles. I want to destroy this man. The lawyer said, I got just the ticket. We're going to work on this together. Here's the way we're going to do it. I'll write up the divorce papers. I'm going to put them here. We'll serve them in 30 days, but I got something for you to do for 30 days. And if we could set this man up and serve the papers, he'll crumble. She goes, what is it? She, he says, I want you to go home, and I want you to start dressing up like you're going out on a date. Just make yourself up. Make yourself look great. Have the favorite foods on the table. Don't say anything bad to him. Don't argue. Don't fight. Don't criticize him. Just talk to him about how what a great man he is, all the great things he's done. Remember all the good stuff. Butter him up. Say all this stuff. 30 days. This man will be head over heels in love with you and, and then we'll drop the divorce papers and he'll crumble. She goes, oh yeah. Oh yeah. The motives? Okay, they were wrong. She started this. She had to fight through it. 30 days later, she's at the lawyer's office again. He said, are we ready to do this? She said, well, actually, I want you to destroy those. I don't want a divorce. He says, why not? She said, well, I started treating him like this. I started realizing what a great guy he really was. And when I started like greeting him and, and, and treating him well, then he wanted to hang out with me more. And our marriage has never been better. Thank you. I have a homework assignment for you. 30 days of romance. You know, we put on our best to go to work and then we get home and let our hair down. And, let everybody... and then we... You know what I'm talking about. And then we go to work and we look all good. and We might be upset and angry, but we smile. And then we get home. Hair is down. Beds unmade. Sloppy. 30 days of romance. 30 days. That's your homework assignment. You men, you remember when you used to hold the door? Maybe you even stood when she entered the room. Now it's like, bring me batteries for the remote. Stop. You got 30 days. Let's turn this thing around. So the modern view of divorce is it is common. The historical view of divorce is whatever makes you happy. The Jews verse... Jesus' view of divorce was, remember the master's plan. God's view of divorce, God hates it. Malachi chapter 2. Let me read a few verses. The Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and the wife of your covenant. Take heed then to your spirit. Let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong, take heed to your spirit. Don't deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in him. Here's the idea. 
<laughs> These guys were just leaving their wives like crazy. And, and, and God says it's like wearing soiled garments. The, the soiled garments meant you're unclean. You don't come into my presence. You're not allowed in my presence. I don't accept you. But you're coming into my presence dirty with sin saying, it's okay. God's saying, oh, no, it's not. And I think about that day. Many will say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. God hates divorce. Hates divorce. Especially when I say, it's okay for me to live in sin and be accepted by God. God says, no, it's not. Those are harsh words. They scare me. It scares me to think that I can presume upon the grace of God. Jesus rebukes Satan. Remember, you shall not test the Lord your God. You shall just go out there and say, do this thing that's sinful because God will take care of it. I might stumble and fall and God will forgive me. But can I say, I'm just going to live in sin and presume that God must forgive me? The scripture doesn't teach that. So the truth view of divorce is harsh. Neither adulterers nor fornicators shall go to heaven. But there is something else in the scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I call it the grace view of divorce. Let's begin in the Old Testament. There's a book called Hosea. God tells the prophet Hosea, who is prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel, sometimes called Ephraim in this book. Uh, Israel, Ephraim are, are names of one of the heads of the 12 tribes. So God would switch names, call it by Israel or Ephraim. God says, Hosea, prophet Hosea, go marry a woman. Without going into all the details, they're married and then this woman runs out on him and is committing adultery. Didn't just commit, committing adultery. And God says, go get her back. Hosea does. She ran out again, committing adultery a second time. God said, Hosea, go get her and bring her back. A third time, this woman has run out committing adultery. God said, Hosea, go get her and bring her back. Restore her. And then God said, I think you're ready now to understand and to deliver my message with passion. Israel was my wife. And she's played the harlot on me. She runs out and commits adultery with all these gods. Oh, he free him. How can I give you up? Return to me, all my people. Return. I will exalt you. I will build you up. I will lift you on high. I will exalt you among the nations. I cannot forsake you. Please return. The grace view of divorce in the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament. Remember when I said Jesus was in Perea six months before the crucifixion? Now he's made it down to Jerusalem. The Pharisees still hate him. And while he's in Jerusalem, they bring to him a woman caught in adultery. Remember the story, John chapter 8? Throwing her at his feet and say, Moses in the law. This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And Moses in the law said she should be executed by stoning. What do you say? Oh, they got him now. If he says, don't do what Moses says, he'd be lucky that the people don't stone him to death. But if he says, yes, stone her, there's another problem. The Romans had removed capital punishment from the Jews. For him to say, yes, stone her, he could be arrested 
and executed by Rome. We got him now. And as you remember, it says he stooped. He's riding on the ground, just riding on the sand. And they kept saying, what do we do? What do we do? And he, he stands up and said, whoever among you has no sin, you throw the first stone. And he stooped and kept riding. And there's a lot of speculation about that. But the fact is, the people from the oldest, <laughs> older people, we tend to be a little more aware of how bad we really are, to the youngest, who tend to be perfect, um, ask, ask your teenager. They make it. Left. And Jesus stands and says, Woman, where are those your accusers? And she says, No man is left to accuse me, Lord. And he said, What? Neither do I condemn you. Go. Go. Go in peace. But stop sinning. It wasn't, go, find that guy you were with, no big deal. He said, go, but stop sinning. The grace view of divorce. God hates divorce. And yet God will accept any person who's willing to come to him. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. God does not like to accept people who say... Because I said a prayer, I can come and wear dirty garments and you must accept me. But God is always near the broken and contrite heart. I like to be under grace. I want the other driver to be under judgment. That's a sin issue i got to deal with. Children of divorce. Maybe you've grown up. You have a choice. You have a choice. Be a victim or a victor. Be comforted by God the Father and then comfort others. Or inflict the same pain upon someone else. You have a choice. We will finish in a minute and some of you might want to say, today is the day I've made that choice. There will be people up here to pray with you. And you say, today is the day. I have made that choice. Maybe you're single. You're saying, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm single. Okay. You know, it's better to be alone, not alone apart from God, but alone and lonely than investing in a bad relationship. If you're single, wait until God gives you the green light. Be careful. Don't make a bad investment. If Abraham hadn't made a bad investment, we wouldn't have a lot of the problems going on in the Middle East right now, if you remember Sarah and Hagar. Wait. You'll only bring harm to yourself. Maybe you've got a good marriage. <laughs> oh, I'm great. <laughs> I'm going to talk to your spouse. <laughs> Let's see how great we are. However, the devil as a roaring lion does walk around seeking, seeking whom he may devour. And that was written to believers. So I would say to you who have a good marriage, you have a homework assignment. You got 30 days. You got 30 days to bite your tongue. You know, they say the smartest person in the marriage is the one who has the last word and doesn't use it. 
Let's see how smart you are for 30 days. (laughs) Maybe you have a bad marriage. God knows your pain. Remember his cry, Oh, Ephraim, I can't give you up. Return. You have a homework assignment. Like the woman who said, I want to hurt him. You got 30 days. You got 30 days. 30 days of romance. I bet you can turn it around. Because it all comes down to taming the tongue at the beginning. Everything else becomes secondary. Behold how large a ship can be turned by such a small rudder. And behold the tongue. With it we bless God and then we curse men. This should not be so. You got 30 days to tame the tongue. Maybe you've been divorced. And if statistics hold true, there are a lot of you out here. There is no sin other than blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot wash. And it's not about where you've been, it's about where you're going. And you're saying, but I've been second class. I just, I blew it. It's too late. It's never too late. The thief on the cross found out it is never too late. It is never too late. But it's time to come up and say, okay, God. Okay. Today is the day. I leave my past under the cross. I walk away. And I move forward. I can't undo the past. But you can have a new beginning. And there will be people up here to pray. There is one other, one more group here. One other group. Do you know the Lord? If today you stood before Jesus Christ, would He say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Or would He say, Depart from me, you who curse you who are cursed and work iniquity. What would Jesus say to you? You will live forever. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. But if you reject God now, your forever is there in hell. If you serve God now, your forever is in the joy of the Lord with him. You too have a choice to make. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.